Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, my lovely Betwixters. It's me, Kate Lister, and welcome back to Betwixt the Sheets. This is your fair dues warning. Fair dues, this episode is going to contain adult themes spoken about in an adult way, and we absolutely will be swearing quite a lot because it's me and Eleanor Yanega talking about ghosts and sex ghosts and ghosts. So definitely there is adult themes at work here, and you just might not be into that. And don't even worry about it. I'll catch you next time. It's dark. It's quiet. You're home alone, just on the edge of sleep. But just as you're drifting off, there's there's a thunk somewhere. A scuffle. And then maybe the hairs on your arms start to stand up. Can you hear it? Did you imagine it? What was that? Was it a ghost? Or did you just forget to put the cat out? For as long as we have been writing stories, we have been writing ghost stories. But do we believe in them? Do you believe in them? Do you believe in ghosts? Well, my producers have been out and about to find out. No, because I choose not to believe, because I think if I came back as a ghost, it would be really, really horrible and I would hate it. So I'd just rather believe that that's not a thing. And, like, people don't have to go through that. I don't think you actually see a ghost. I think it's more like it's there, but it's not there. Because, like, you can feel its presence. It's like when you're, you know, at home and you get this cold feeling or you get this feeling that someone's watching you or about. That's why I don't think you actually see a ghost. But I believe in the presence of ghosts. No. Because I've never seen one. Um, I've never, you know, heard many stories about them from people. Uh, Anyone close to me has never said they've seen one, and I've never seen one. So what does our belief, or indeed our disbelief, in ghosts have to say about us as a society? And how has that changed throughout history? What do you look for in a man? Oh, money, of course. (laughs) You're supposed to rise when an adult speaks to you. I make perfect copies of whatever my boss needs by just turning a knob and pushing the button. Yes, social courtesy does make a difference. Goodness, what beautiful time. Goodness has nothing to do with it, dearie. Welcome back to Betwixt the Sheets, the history of sex scandal in society and ghosts today with me, Kate Lister. Would you agree to stay in a haunted house? 
Well, historian extraordinaire Eleanor Yanega did just that, and she is here today to tell us about all sorts of ghosties and goblins, from monks to harlequin hunts to Romans, who apparently weren't afraid of no ghosts. As Eleanor says, sex, death, and the apocalypse. What more could you possibly need? Let's do this. So welcome back to Betwixt the Sheets. Hello! Hi, Kay. Thank you so much for having me back. Returning champion. Yay. I'm so excited to have you here. You're just so much fun to talk to. I suppose we should do some history stuff today. Oh, I mean, it's been alleged that that's our job. So yeah, let's do it. (laughs) Let's do it. Right. We are here to talk about today the history of ghosts. Medieval ghosts. Yeah. Where have you got into this? Are you now like medieval ghost hunting? Is this a new branch for you? You're going into something here. Yeah, like, okay, so I've always been interested in, you know, concepts of the afterlife. So, you know, one of my areas of specialization, it's like, it's not just bonking. Thank you very much. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, I also work on the apocalypse and conceptions of afterlife and hell and stuff like that. The big trio. Shagging apocalypse afterlife. Yeah, because it's like the only things that matter are sex and death, right? Like and sandwiches. Yeah. You just throw that in as well. In, in, in between you get the sandwiches. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I've always kind of been interested in images of death or stories that people kind of tell about things because that's sort of what, you know, apocalypticism is. It's kind of like looking forward to when everybody's going to be dead and how things will be. And I got quite into sort of reading medieval ghost stories within this because, you know, they've got them, which is true of pretty much every single society on the face of the earth you know uh, basically the minute people started writing stuff down they were writing down ghost stories really they're that old yeah we got mesopotamian ghost stories no yeah you name them we got it it's like it's one of the first things that humans want to tell you about and i think the first ghost story i ever read was actually in emperor charles the fourth's autobiography and it's really funny because I do a lot of work on him and it's the super dry autobiography that's all about how holy he is and how he definitely deserves to be a Holy Roman Emperor. And like, and then I went on a battle here and did this and then I did a battle here. And then like in the middle of it, he's got this one story where he's staying in a castle, I think in Melnitz or somewhere like that. And he and his homeboy are staying in this room and in the middle of the night, a cup picks up from the side of their bedside table and flings itself across the room and hits the other side. And nobody else is in there. Hello. No one else was anywhere near the cup. And then he was like, it didn't get knocked down. It got flung against. And he was like, and we got out of bed and we prayed and we stayed up the rest of the night because we were so scared. Anyway, back to the battle. And it's a very interesting thing to me because I was like, huh, you know, it's not really something. It's interesting when an emperor is writing you an account of his life, right? It's saying, these are the most important things that I want people to know about me. And he's like, and now time for a ghost story, like right in the middle of it. An interlude. Yeah. And so I was like, huh, well, here we go. We've got this ghost story. And that ghost story is very interesting because it's a lot like ghost stories we hear now. I was just thinking that. That sounds like the kind of thing that you tell each other around a campfire or Mm. you know it's like oh just this thing picked up smashed against the wall it sounded very modern when you said it yeah and herein lies the rub 
right? Because that's the sort of ghost story you hear from an individual, but those aren't the usual ghost stories we get from the Middle Ages. Okay. Because the usual ghost stories we get from the Middle Ages, obviously, it's like, well, who has time to write things down, right? It's like, well, the people who are literate, who read and write things. Good point. Yeah, right? So it's like, that's why Charles is able to tell his little ghost story and no one's going to stop him, right? He's the emperor, so good for him. You can say whatever you like, Charlie boy. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, right, <laughs> exactly. But the major people who are kind of writing things down, obviously, are in this kind of world are oftentimes monks, uh-huh. right? Yeah. So you get tons of stuff that's written down by monks. And that's really interesting because the way they use ghost stories is super different to how we talk about ghost stories now. Okay. All right. Okay. Hit me with a monk ghost story. Okay. So classic monk ghost story here, right, is that there are two serfs who decide to run away from their rightful landlords and their rightful landlords, you know, being a monastery, has some description, right? And, you know, this is very bad and very naughty and they oughtn't to have run away. And then they kind of die by misadventure in the new community that they've moved to. And then uh, they are, you know, buried in the churchyard. But because they are incredibly naughty, they come back as revenant dead. And they start getting out of their coffins and like running around town attacking people. That's like zombies. Yeah, like it's really common for them. It's like revenants. Revenants. What's the difference between a revenant and a zombie? I think the difference between a revenant and a zombie is that revenants are usually kind of like animated by a spiritual thing. Ooh. And that's why they've come back. And I think zombies in the popular imagination, zombies, it's usually like contagion. Or sometimes um, in like older conceptions of zombies, like if we're talking about like Haitian things, uh, magic can also be involved in that. So, like, revenants are like, it's a dead guy, but they did something bad, right? And so the locals have to then dig these guys up, then they decapitate them, and then they bury them in a marsh. And so, like, this is a really kind of powerful form of, like, saying they're not members of our community, right? These are bad guys, and they were very, very naughty. So this is a really monastic ghost story, because at the heart of it, it's like, don't you run away from your landlords, the church. (laughs) Yes. Right? Yeah. It's kind of like, so that is very, very sinful. And if you do something sinful like that, you don't get to be buried in hollowed ground. And it's kind of like a reminder for the community as well. So it's like a reminder for, don't you run away. And also it's saying to communities, don't accept people who do this. Yeah. Because if you accept people who do this, then they are going to, it's like a supernatural threat to you that your life is going to become awful then they're going to attack you so what you have there is a kind of real world consequence for individuals and you also have it tied into the fact that there's kind of a religious thing here but also it kind of comes back to social norms right Mm. and this is what you see over and over again with religious ghost stories where they're like they are just like hammering home the things that you are supposed to do. So, for example, you get another trope. They're called Harlequin hunts. Have you ever heard of these? I have never heard of a Harlequin hunt. Tell me. So this is fun. We get these especially, and there's like a guy, usually a priest, and he's coming home late at night by himself on the road, and he suddenly sees like this big parade of damned people, so dead people. And they're all kind of like, rock, they're, they're having a little march down the road, but they're all also being tortured in the way that they're being tortured in hell. Okay. But like, and hell for medieval people, big on ironic punishments. And this guy sort of like walks up to uh, the parade and he's like, hey, what's all this? And he starts speaking to a guy who's in the parade. And it turns out he's this knight who the priest knows. And he's like, you've got to help me. I am in hell because I basically was too greedy in life. And I lent some money to a miller 
And then the miller couldn't pay it back, so I stole his mill. Well, like, took his mill from him. And now I've made so much more money on the mill. My family's made so much more money on the mill than the miller himself ever, ever owed me anyway. And we're still profiting from it. So I am in hell because of this. And he's kind of like on a horse and he's weighed down and he's red hot and he's being burnt. And he's like, please, please, please go to my family. Tell my family they've got to give the mill back to the miller. And if they don't, I'm going to be stuck in hell. Wow. So the guy's like, oh, you know, yeah, absolutely. He runs off to the family. The family gives the thing back to the miller. They say a bunch of masses for the guy's soul and they pray for him. And then he gets out of hell, right? Okay. Yeah. Okay. And this does like a couple of different things. Like it shows a, like the communal expectations around stuff like money, because you're not supposed to be in the medieval period, like making money off of like interest when you lend people money and stuff. So if you make the money back that someone owed you, you're supposed to stop. That's supposed to be like, you broken even. So he's not supposed to be keeping the Miller's Mill. Like, oh, uh-huh. very, very bad. Very, very naughty. But then it also does like this really Christian thing, which is like, but there's a way that you can intercede with people even if they're dead. So say like your loved one has messed up and finds themselves in purgatory. Purgatory being essentially hell, but you can get out eventually. Like that's what purgatory is for medieval people. But you can, like, get them out if you undo the bad thing they did, if you pray for them, have a bunch of masses said for them. And it's like there's still this kind of, like, ongoing connectedness between dead people and the living community that knew them. And so Christianity can always, like, help you out, even if it's, like, too late and you are dead. But this isn't just a religious thing. This is like being told to clear your debts even when you're dead. That's like... Do the banks know about this? I know, right? Well, it's like, yeah, the, the banks are like, please don't listen. That's the better. No, I think it's cool to own a million dollars. You can come back from that you're dead and then you have to come back and go, I'm still in debt. Please, could you pay my credit card off for me? Yeah. Fuck. And this is what's really funny, right? Is that like the majority of medieval ghosts that we have records of, you know, you've got Charles's medieval ghost who's just like, yeah, threw a cup. Yeah. Fuck that cup, you know, like, you know, which is kind of like the ghost we expect to see. But medieval ghosts aren't like that in the majority of sources. The majority of the sources, like, they are appearing because something's gone, like, badly wrong and they need your help. Oh, is, is it just, like, debts and stuff or is it, like... It's, like, debts or, I mean, so, one of my favorite ones is Arthurian. And this is from, I think, the Antwerps of Arthur. I can't pronounce old English. Don't ask me to. I'm not going to do it. Just say it in a slightly Lord of the Ringsy slight of an accent. Antwerps of Arthur. No one knows what it sounded like. We just like to make it up. We give it this kind of Germanic twist. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, for sure. You know, just like really squint your mouth. It'll be fine. Perfect. But so the homies are coming home from a hunt. As rich people do. You know, rich people, they simply love to go on a hunt. And this big kind of storm kicks up and it's dark and they're in the forest. And it's bad to be in the forest in the medieval imagination. Mm. Like the forest usually kind of signifies like a magic place. It's sort of like seen as lawless. It's outside the bounds of like ordinary human community. Dogging. Right. And all of a sudden this gross figure shows up and she's like, her skin's black. She's got eyes that are glowing like red coals. And all over her, there's like snakes. Ooh. And she's got these frogs sucking on her boobs. That's not good. It's not. And everyone is like, this seems bad. I mean, I've been like, you fucked up. <laughs> it's, kind of, it's like, it's like oh, things have gone really wrong. And everyone is like, hey, can I help you? <laughs> and she tells the story. And she's like, look, I am like, I used to be like you. Big theme. 
in medieval dead people showing up and stuff. I used to be like you. I was very, very beautiful. I was very, very rich. I was very, very powerful. But I was vain and took pride in my appearance and my clothes, which is why I'm like hideous now and gross to look at. She's kind of like covered in gross rags. And she's like, and I had affairs. And the frogs on my titties <laughs> are my lovers who've also been damned alongside <laughs> with me to suck that corpse titty in the afterlife, oh, as it were. Oh, damn. Which is, again, like, so they've messed up too, right? So everyone's messed up. I'm going to change my Tinder bio right now. It would just be like, get with me, I'll be damned to be a frog and suck yeah, my tits exactly. in the afterlife. <laughs> That's like one for spooky season, guys. Like, <laughs> God. Well, this is my Halloween costume sorted anyway. Yeah, there you go, right? Right, so what happens to her? Okay, so it turns out and she demands to speak to Guinevere and Guinevere goes up and she's like, hey, Guinevere, it's mum. <gasps> and everyone's like, oh, reveal, reveal. And she's like, Guinevere, live your life right. Don't be like me. And then the normal thing, please go get a bunch of masses said for me. Like, so, so bad. And it's kind of like foreshadowing, right? Because obviously Guinevere doesn't end up listening to this. And Ooh. Guinevere goes on to have an affair with Lancelot and do the wrong thing, right? So it's really, really interesting because kind of the horror here, there is this horror of, you know, death and all the terrible things that can happen to you after. But also a huge part of that is kind of a concern about women being out of control. Oh, yeah. So women and like, and you see here the normal complaints that we see about women in the medieval period. So it's like they're vain. All they care about is their looks. They're going to be having tons of affairs. So this story as a whole kind of compounds gendered expectations and is warning against them. Fuck. Okay. But still doing that medieval thing of being like, well, someone messed up here and they need help now. So like, go like have some masses said for them. And, you know, obviously Guinevere doesn't listen. She's going to have to make her own mistakes no matter what. Why on earth wouldn't you listen to that? Oh, I mean, like, by the time your mom showed up with frog on her titty, like, that's... That's... You listen to that, don't you? I mean, like, I can't imagine the state of mind that would be like, nah, I'm sure it'll be fine. I don't know how hot Lancelot was, but... It's not worth it. He's not, not worth, worth it, it, girls. No. Yeah, like, you would think that that would, like, put her on the straight and narrow, but no. Determined. But even then, right, that's a critique of gender, too, where it's like, I don't know, like, her zombie mom with the <laughs> with the titty frogs showed up, and that was, and she still did it. And it's like, well, you know how women are, right? Like, and so there's kind of like, that is implicit within the same thing. So it's really interesting because that is not like a monastic ghost story, right? This is for fun. This is like a story that gets told for fun. This is chivalrous. This is really enjoyable. But you still see it doing the same things, which is like compounding societal norms, which is kind of explaining what the acceptable parameters for gender are. And at the same time being like, oh, yeah, and make sure you have masses set for the dead. Is this like what Charles Dickens was doing in A Christmas Carol? Those types of ghosts? Yeah, exactly, right? Because it's really, really similar. So when Marley, Jacob Marley comes back, he's like, yeah, I screwed up. So live your life right. And then the ghosts of future, past, present, then kind of like show him how it is that he needs to mend his life. So Dickens does this really interesting thing of kind of like using this very traditional kind of medieval form of a ghost and then compounding it with these new conceptions of ghosts who can like take you through time and stuff like that. So it's a really interesting kind of blending of the modern and medieval there. Wow. Yeah. So when do we start getting like references to cups being smashed around, you know, like just like stuff that we would think of more as like, that it's not this kind of zombie with frog tits. <laughs> I can't get the image out of my head. It's like a spirit that is unhappy and is kind of wandering. When does that 
start to become the norm. Yeah, so this seems to be like a big modern thing. So we start to see a kind of change in this around the 18th century and certainly in the 19th century with the rise of spiritualism, which is very, very interesting, right? Because the thing about these kind of like older medieval ghost stories is they do these things where you're like, oh, I can like see culturally what you're doing here. But you have this big change as kind of science starts to take over the concept of quote unquote science. Okay. And so you have, you know, on the one hand, this cultural like demystification you know, we say where it's like, oh, no, things can be explained scientifically. But you also have a reaction to that. Yeah. Which is like, no, 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 we don't want to demystify. We want to kind of like have this particular thing. But also, you know, sort of a desire to quantify things like ghosts, you know. So this this hope that um, these things can be recorded or measured in some way like that, right? And uh, for the Victorians, you have this like sort of like really big change in this period where there is a real kind of personal mourning that has, you know, a lot of people wrapped up in it. And you have like, especially in the, at the turn of the 20th century, you know, you'll have large mortalities like, you know, the Spanish flu outbreak or World War One, where people are bereft, you know, and they have these people who they are missing from their lives. And then there becomes this sort of desire to contact spirits and this sort of idea that you wish to make contact with people who are dead mm. whereas like the medieval one is like you don't want you're like like hey they'll come to you right like you can't go to them you can't be out in the woods and be like hey i hope my mom will show up and show me her frog titties like you know <laughs> that's not how it works they come to you as and when you can't kind of seek them out and indeed if you do seek them out in the medieval period you're doing necromancy and that is like a dead people magic and it's kind of like talking to ghosts. It's like trying to get ghosts to show up and tell you things, right? So for medieval people, that is bad. Like, you should not be trying to talk to dead people. Don't do that. Okay. No, like very, very bad. But the modern thing is like, let's get these ghosts in here and like get them chatting. And it's like, hey, what are you up to, right? And there are kind of varying ways of looking at the afterlife from that. So you see, especially for people who are running seances or leaning really heavily in to spiritualism, they will go super heavily into the idea that oh well everyone's just hanging out and having a nice time in the next life and they want to tell you that you're great and they miss you but they can't <laughs> wait to see you give me money you know like that that's like one way of doing it yeah but at the same time you also kind of have this idea of when it's sort of like i don't know spontaneously i guess occurring ghosts as opposed to ones that you sort of like raised yourself when they're in your house or something you also see this real differentiation here right because it's like, well, why is this ghost here? It's not because they did something wrong. It's because something bad happened to them. Yes. Right. So that's like our, our major way of looking at ghosts now. It's not that I was a bad person. So I'm hanging out to talk to you. It's like a bad thing happened to me. I am a victim and I'm hanging out. Yeah. I can't think of any modern ghost stories that it's somebody who's come back to warn you thinking about it yeah it tends to all be sort of disembodied phantoms wandering around something bad's happened or you go to a medium and you sort of give it the old is there anyone here who had a grandparent that kind of yeah is there anyone with a grandparent anyone at all like <laughs> anyone you? anyone at all i'm like no <laughs> i shouldn't say that i'm sure there's lots of very good mediums out there who do their thing but yeah we don't have this idea of somebody's returned with a warning or with a credit card do we yeah and it's really interesting because when people do return you know yeah sure sometimes they kind of want help like there's this kind of idea there yeah but the help is never like please go say seven masses and also live your life right the help is never like go give that mill away <laughs> you know like it, it's never like that it's always like you know you get someone in and they say some prayers and 
douse the place with holy water and bada bing, bada boom, the ghost is yeah. gone, right? And oftentimes also what is kind of portrayed there is that there's kind of some confusion with the ghosts, like that they don't know they're ghosts or they don't really know where they're there, why they're there, things like this. Yeah, I've seen Sixth Sense. Yeah, 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 exactly. So you see that a lot with modern things where it's just like, they're like, well, I don't know, I'm just ghosted. Like I, like I was around the house, I didn't know I was ghosts. But for medieval people, those ghosts are showing up with a mission. They're super clear on the fact that they're dead. <laughs> they're like, I am. I'm extremely dead. I'm so dead. Yeah. I'm like very, very dead. And I've got a side quest for you, essentially. Wow. So obviously a lot of this has to do with what people want out of dead things too. Like, so for example, for medieval people, this all kind of like makes sense, right? It's like, for medieval Europeans, this is a massively majority Christian society. And there's supposed to only be like two places you can end up. If you're dead, it's like either you're in heaven, given it large, right? Yeah. Or you are in purgatory or hell, right? Which is much of a muchness. So if somebody shows up, you have to kind of explain why it is that they're not in one of those two places. And that explanation also needs to take into account that those two places are really the only acceptable place for a dead person to be within Christian cosmology. You can't just decide to like go AWOL. I'll be back with Eleanor after this short break. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi there, I'm Don Wildman, the host of the brand new podcast, American History Hit. Join me twice a week as I explore the past to help us understand the United States today. You'll hear how Codebreakers uncovered secret Japanese plans for the Battle of Midway. Visit Chief Poetin as he prepares for war with the British. See Walt Disney accuse his former colleagues of being communists and uncover the hidden history that lies beneath Central Park. From pre-colonial America to independence, Slavery to civil rights, the gold rush to the space race. I'll be speaking to leading experts to delve into America's past. New episodes dropping every Monday and Thursday. So join me on American History Hit, a podcast by History Hit.
get this obsession about burials, about people coming back because they didn't have a proper burial. I've heard that a lot. Oh, the pennies on the eyes. Oh, my God. Okay, so this is, like, the whole time. And that's also one of the most common, like, the ghosts showed up. One of the most, most common reasons is because they didn't get buried right. And we see this even in ancient texts, right? No way! Yeah, yeah. So it's like, you know, when you put pennies on the eyes in order to cross the river sticks and things like that, then that's ancient. And there is a fun ghost story that I really like that was recorded by Pliny the Younger about this. That's plenty old, isn't it? Yeah, really old. And he is writing about the Stoic philosopher called Athenodorus. And uh, he deliberately moves into a haunted house in Athens. There's this, everybody knows this house is haunted. People have like lived there all the time. But he's like, yeah, but I'm a big Stoic guy. So I'm, I'm going to like move in there and prove a point. Come at me, bitches. And he's like, part of the point is that the rent is cheap. <laughs> so this is a logical thing. <laughs> so he like, he moves in and like the ghost comes up to him and it's this ghost of an old man rattling chains. And Athenodorus is like, no. I'm not even scared of you. I'm busy writing, so could you just wait for a minute? And the ghost is, like, super impressed by this. And it's like, oh, yeah, like, get to a stopping point. And then Anathodorus, like, finishes writing. He's like, yeah, now, can I help you? And the ghost kind of takes him out to the garden. And it's found that the ghost's body had been disposed of in the garden and was, like, wrapped in chains. And it's like, people are not supposed to be just in the back garden, right? And so they then go give the body a proper burial. And then the ghost goes away. And so these are really interesting ghost stories because they're doing something also for, again, the community at large. Because Mm. improperly disposed bodies are a threat. Yes. Right? Like, because they can putrefy, they can make people sick. And especially ancient Greeks and ancient Romans are really, really concerned about this. And they talk about it all the time. They, for example, you're not allowed to dissect humans in, like ancient Roman and Greek culture, like sometimes people get away with it, but for the most part, you're not supposed to because they're like, if you cut open dead bodies, there's going to be all this gross putrid stuff, like humor in there that you're going to let out into the air. And then people are going to get sick. So like, don't do it. Do not cut open humans. Don't do that. Because they're nasty. Yeah. Right. And similarly, it's like, you can't just bury bodies in the back garden. Someone's going to get sick. What if that leaches into the groundwater? Like what if, how are you going to do things like that? So if you make up a ghost story around it, it's like, ah, well, it's not just like that there's health concerns here. It's like, also, your ass is going to get haunted. Wow. Right. And this is the same thing as, like, because sometimes I've read about it being a punishment for people to be buried improperly. Like, people that are buried at a crossroads. Yeah. Or they're buried in prone burials where they're upside down. And that's, like, a really bad sign that something fucked up has happened here. Yeah, something's gone. Yeah, so... We call those atypical burials or sometimes deviant burials, but we've kind of like tried to shy away from the term deviant burial because a deviant burial makes it sound like the people are deviants. And what we're kind of saying is that it's not typical. I just love the idea of like loads of ghosts in the afterlife being like, um, excuse me, I think you find that deviant burial is, uh, it's not PC anymore. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly right. Like it's an offensive term. <laughs> it's an term. offensive term now. <laughs> Covered in frogs. Right. <laughs> I bet yeah, like it, what it does, right, is it underlines the fact that there is a right way to bury people. Yes. Right? Like most cultures have a right way to bury people. And medieval culture, that way is like, you know, in the hollowed ground, you know, you got your little place. It is also interesting as well because churchyards are super oversubscribed, shall we say, in the medieval period. And so medieval people are a lot more used to kind of like, you know, you dig a hole and it's like, ugh, there's some other bones and you might remove those bones and have to put them in what's called a charnel house for a while. But they stay kind of like in the churchyard area and there's this way of doing it right right so we'll find these people who are buried yeah upside down or buried decapitated with their head between their legs 
or sometimes buried with a stone in their mouths or oftentimes like buried in waterlogged places. That's a big one. If like bury them in a marsh. Right. Okay. Where you're like, this is like some crap land and like we're burying you here instead of a churchyard. Or sometimes like just outside church walls. That's a burn, isn't it? Yeah. Just on the outside. Yeah. It's a real burn. Yeah. And it's like, were you excommunicated when you died? That'd be one. Or if, you know, you die doing something sinful or people know that something's gone wrong, then that will happen. And then, you know, that's reinforced by stories about the revenant dead. So it's like most of the ghost stories that involve like revenant dead and things like that, usually the way that you solve it is by burying them in a worse place. Yeah. Like you accidentally buried them somewhere where they have no business being because they're actually really sinful and they're bad. And so you need to then like put them at a crossroads. You need to put their head between their knees. You need to do this and that. And, um, you know, that persists. So there was a lot of talk a few weeks ago in Poland. They found some early modern graves. So kind of like 17th century. And these people were buried with scythes over their throats. Now that's not a good sign. Yeah. And so that indicates to us a kind of concern for vampirism. So if they got up, it will cut their throat. Cut their heads off. Yeah. See, there's method to the madness. Yeah. And it's a really interesting one because we don't see a lot of reference to vampirism in medieval stuff. It's much more kind of like early modern that that becomes a much larger concern, especially kind of like in Central Europe and places like that. But we do kind of see the same desires to stop the dead from coming back and doing things. So it's like for medieval people, a lot of time it's a stone in the mouth. It's like, yeah, like get out of that one, dead guy. <laughs> right? Like, you know, things like, things like that. And, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's like, if, to be fair, they're not really like saying that those people are going to come out and like suck all your blood out. But they are like, they may bite you. Like, I don't know, like, it's not like a concern about like exsanguination, but it is like a concern that you might be attacked or bitten at some point in time. What's kind of weird is that, like, on one hand, they have stories about people coming back as ghosts because they weren't buried properly. And then when they've got people that they really don't fucking want to come back, they go and bury them in properly. Yeah. That seems, like, counterintuitive. Yeah, it's quite funny because what that does is it's kind of re-compounding religious stuff. So it's like, if you bury someone who's good improperly, then you need to go make sure that they are buried well. If you bury someone who's bad properly, well, that's technically improper because they're bad. <laughs> you know, so. Oh, there's some mental gymnastics here. Yeah, and it's like a lot of the time it'll be people who are like expressly like they weren't getting on with the locals, right? So, you know, you've got the story about those serfs who ran away. It's like, well, who are these guys? Are they even part of the community? You have that on the one hand. Or sometimes it'll just be like people that like nobody liked. And they're like, yeah, he was an asshole even when he was alive. So we're just going to damn him forever in the afterlife. Yeah, well, he was coming back and messing with everybody, so... I See, I think that that sounds harsh, but recently I've joined a Facebook community group that's local to my area, and the level of anger and vitriol in this particular group, I think they would bury their neighbours with a stone in their mouth. See, there you go. Like, that's the thing. Is the minute All you got to do is get on next door, and you're like, okay, maybe. <laughs> that absolutely makes sense. Yeah. But speaking of ghosts, I understand that you very recently spent the night in the most haunted castle in the UK, which is appropriately called Chillingham Castle. I know. Isn't it funny? <laughs> like, it sounds like I've made it up. It sounds like this is, is specifically me going... Oh, yeah, like Chillingham. I did have to double check that of just like what Chillingham Castle. It's not like Spookholm Castle or something, but no, Chillingham Castle. 
So tell me, why did you do this? Okay, well, in the first place, because I'm stupid. Okay, that's <laughs> number one. So let's get that right out of the way. Uh, but so I've got this uh, very exciting show about uh, ghosts coming out on History Hit end of the month, especially for Halloween. So, you know, where I've got a lot more ghost stories, we go look at some places, right? And we were like, well, you can't make a show about medieval ghosts and not go to a haunted Come on. No, you can't. Come on, like, I'm not made of stone, right? So we started looking into, well, where's a haunted castle? And answer, all of them. Are there any castles that aren't haunted? Are there any castles that's like, no, we've got nothing? Yeah, like, it's basically, there was kind of like a ghost off where we're like, who could do what? But uh, Chillingham claims to be the most haunted. And it's up in Northumberland, really, really gorgeous place. But also it had the benefit of you can stay the night there. And my production team likes to torture me. But also sucked in because they had to stay there too. So, so like whose who's, who's problem is this now, right? And it's a really interesting place because it is right kind of on the border with Scotland, obviously. And it was really involved in a lot of wars back and forth around Scotland. So it's where, for example, the campaigns against William Wallace were planned from. So Edward I stayed there and things. And, and it's quite old. So some bits of it date back to kind of like the 12th century, 11th century. There's modern bits in between, but, you know, it, it's quite old. And because they are so important militarily, you have like kind of all sorts of people that come through. And you have these classic things where we would go, oh, yeah, like that makes a ghost, right? Because they have like a torture chamber. <gasps> no. They have like a dungeon. And it's fairly usual to have a dungeon in a castle. That's pretty usual. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. But like a torture chamber is like, there isn't all that much need for torture generally as things go. And, you know, sometimes people really over-egg the amount of torture that actually went down in the medieval period. But, uh, you know, in this case, is the border wars with the Scottish did get quite toasty at times. Enough to warrant a special room for hurting people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Wow. So it's got like these things, right? Interestingly, like about the castle. So it's like it's haunted as the day is long, according to everybody who lives there. I didn't see anything. But of course, I was looking. You didn't see anything. I didn't see anything. Although, obviously, I was freaked out anyway, because... Because you just are, aren't you? Even with your yeah. huge skeptic head on. It's like, you are in a castle, for God's sake. That's just spooky. Yeah, and it's like, okay, so when we were, like, done filming, right? Because, you know, we were filming, and you film, film, film until, like, 10 at night or whatever. And then it was time to kind of, like, go up to the apartments where we stayed overnight and heat up dinner and drink several glasses of red wine, if you're me. And my production team were like, okay, well, we're going to go get the lights in from the courtyard and I'm like, okay. We'll be fine here then. And they're like, Eleanor, why don't you go up to the kitchen and you can start like getting the like dinner heated up. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and I'm like up in the, you know, the, like the modern, bright, clean, cutie little apartment. And I was just like, you know, felt like I was being watched, you know, but I was, I was probably doing it to myself. And I was just like conspicuously being like, I am not scared. I'm having a wine. I'm turning the oven on. I'm making a fire. I'm not scared. Be like Athenaeus. Just like, do you mind? I'm just in the middle of something ghost. Yeah, I was giving it large like that. <laughs> but you know, like you've done that to yourself. Like I was just kind of like freaked out of that fight by myself. Yes. Now there was a ghost hunter at the castle and he has like dowsing rods, divoting rods that he says he can use to kind of communicate with ghosts. Okay. And he also has like, I don't know what it's called, like some kind of like little handheld electronic device that he says picks up on electromagnetic fields. A ghostometer. A ghostometer. Right? And he's all like, oh yeah, there's ghosts around. And I'm like, I don't know. 
You know, like, I don't know. But uh, the stories are good, so I'm not sure I care. It's sort of like... Oh, tell me some of the stories. What ghosts are there there? Okay, so he's like tons. And it was hilarious. Okay, and I also um, interviewed the guy who owns it who is, uh, you know, like the most perfect sir you've ever met in your life. And he's like, well, you know, so I, bought, I, bought, I bought the place. And so it's bloody full of ghosts. So I get my cousin, I said, well, get my cousin, get a man in to get rid of them. You know, so get, get rid of the bloody things. But, you know, my, my cousin's a priest, so I got him in. He says, this is our chap, there's just too many of them. <laughs> like, and I was like, word, word. So my favorite story that the ghost hunter told me is he said that there is a uh, three ghosts there who claim to be from the 12th century, one of whom is French and two of whom are Scottish. And they kind of like were captured and died there. And this makes sense from a historical perspective because the French and the Scottish often teamed up against English people (laughs) in order to do a pincer movement. So like it makes some historical sense. And you're like, okay. And he's like, yeah, so there's that guy. Um, There is in the chapel a little girl named Eleanor. Oh, that's appropriate. Yeah, and interestingly, so it's like, there's the chapel, but they like they found a bunch of skeletons in there. It's just like, they just be finding skeletons in the walls all the time. They're like, oh yeah, I found another skeleton, and it's like, thumbs down, right? But like, her ghost kind of shows up, and I'm sort of like, well, why was there like a ghost showing up? Like, you know, she's in consecrated ground, and it's like, oh, but at the time it wasn't a chapel, because like, the chapel moves back and forth. And then later on, because like a bunch of these ghost stories were first recorded at the turn of the 20th century by um, Lady Leonora, who's the lady of the castle. And she was using that chapel as her writing room. And then they decide to kind of like do something and they find like a bunch of skeletons in there. And she's like, oh, but I've only ever like seen the one. Ghost. And she's like, why is that? When there's kind of like three skeletons in there. But then they find out that it was a chapel. And she's like, oh, well, that's why those other ones weren't haunting my ass. But, like, the little girl ghost, they say, is, like, tactile. And they say she'll, like, trace her finger on your back and stuff. And I was like, no, thank you. No, she will not. No, she won't. I was like, I'm not going in there. (laughs) I was like, I'm not going in there after dark. You're not going to catch your girl slipping. There's only one Eleanor in this room right now, and it's your girl. So that's what they say about her is that she's actually tactile. And then there is one in the bedroom, they say, where King Edward the first stayed so they call it edward the first bedroom or whatever and they say that he's like a bad news guy and that he makes it smell and if you sit in chairs and stuff he'll like get sit on you and make it hard to get up and he's just like a bad dude so they say that about him and then so here's the thing right i'm kind of like "Eh." you know i'm interested in the cultural phenomena of ghosts i'm obviously interested in sort of like the social factors that surround them you know as i say like why do we tell ghost stories and things like that so to me The interesting thing is, like, that we tell ghost stories, right? Yeah. But, you know, I'm trying not to freak out too much about, like, staying in this castle overnight or whatever. And, you know, like, remain suitably skeptical, like, you know, someone who, in theory, is a public intellectual, right? In theory. (laughs) So within that, though, I'm chatting to the woodsman, and he and his wife, who kind of, like, looks after the castle, apparently at some point in time, his wife had been up in the bedroom, and she's like don't care for this new mannequin that's been put in the Edward the first room. And she goes to Sir Humphrey, the Lord who owns the castle. And she's like, dude, like, let me know when you're putting new mannequins in the rooms. Because like, I came around the corner and got well freaked out. And he was like, excuse me, new mannequin. Oh, man. No. And they went back. It was not there. Oh, uh, and she'd like fully seen a person. And she was like, oh, it must be a mannequin. Cause it's not. And like, no one else is around. Right. And so it's like, when it's the people who live there, and who were 
Matt the Woodsman, who was cool as hell. Like, shout out Matt, a cool guy who let me pat his dog. He is like, yeah, I never really believed in ghosts before I moved here. And now, like, I just see stuff all the time and I don't really have an explanation for it. But part of me gets down on saying that as well, right? Because, like, the medieval way of looking at, for example, magic is really similar to this, right? Because for medieval people, uh, magic is sort of like when you've got an observable phenomena, but you can't explain it. So medieval people would be like, electric eels, those guys are magic. Because what, what are they doing? What are they, like, how are they doing this right now? That's crazy, you know? So medieval people would be like, that's magic. Or they'll be like, magnets are magic because, wow, they sure do attract stuff. But, like, who knows how that happens? But it's an observable phenomenon that they can't really explain, so they just go, I don't know, magic, right? So maybe if there are these observable phenomena that people are seeing in places like Chillingham, maybe it's just like eventually we'll get to the point where we can say there's an explanation for this and we'll figure out what that is. If it's dead people, I'm not necessarily saying if it's dead people, but it might just be something that we don't know yet. And I think that that's kind of an interesting way of looking at it. It connects us up with medieval people and then it allows us to like freak ourselves out if we want to in, you know, October for the spooky season. <laughs> oh, Eleanor, it's been so good to talk to you and all of the ghosts as well. And if people want to know more about this program, if they want to watch you, Sat inside Chillingham Castle going, I'm a grown-up, I'm a grown-up, I'm a grown-up, I'm a grown-up, I don't believe in ghosts. Where can they find this? Yeah, uh, it will be on History Hit, so definitely uh, check us out at historyhit.com. You can obviously sign up and get lots of videos other than just me freaking myself out about ghosts in a castle. There's lots more to see just than that, but you know, if you want to see it, that's the place to be. You've been so amazing to talk to. Again, thank you for joining me betwixt the spooky sheets. These are some spooky ass sheets, girl. Spooky ass sheets. <laughs> right, where are the frogs? Let's go. <laughs> Thanks for listening, and thank you so much to Eleanor for coming back. And if you like what you've heard, please don't forget to like, review, and subscribe wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Join me again Betwixt the Sheets, the History of Sex Scandal in Society, a podcast by History Hit. This podcast includes music by Epidemic Sounds. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of Betwixt the Sheets. Please follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us and you'll be doing us a big favour. Don't forget, you can also listen to all these podcasts ad-free and watch hundreds of documentaries when you subscribe at historyhit.com forward slash subscribe. As a special gift, you can get your first three months for just £1 a month when you use the code BETWIXT at checkout.